0: Hello and welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about Software Developer Keys to Success on the Retail IT Channel, and our special guest is Mark Fraker, the Vice President of Marketing for RSPA Distributor Member Blue Star. Mark has been a leader in the Retail IT Channel for several years, including roles as the, in the RSPA as a member of the Marketing Committee, Chair of the Vendor Working Group, a Board Member, and RSPA Board Chairperson. Mark has also helped launch several events and initiatives for software developers, which makes him a perfect guest for us today. Hey, Mark, always great to talk with you. Hey, Jim. Great to see you. Yeah, great to have you uh, on the podcast. Welcome. Um, I think we've talked in every other forum, on stage, off stage, on the phone, on video, on the channel. Nice to have you here on the podcast.
1: First for everything, Jim.
0: Yes, there is. (laughs) So, Mark, before we talk about actions that ISVs need to take, let's first dive into how software developers fit in the channel today and where you think that they will fit in the future. So, talk about how you and Blue Star have seen the number of ISVs increase and how you see them playing a lead role really steering the retail IT channel.
1: Well, Jim, I'm going to make a couple of real quick uh, facts about uh, what's happening in the channel in regards to um the technology software companies and first of all in uh, 2019 there were estimated around a hundred thousand technology software companies in north america and by 2027 they're forecasting that to be close to a million so that is 900,000 new technology software companies that will come into the channel over the next few years I think the other really important factor is 40% of our channel will retire uh, by 2024. So we're just two years out, right? Three. And then by 2025, 75% of our channel will be millennials or younger. And I think what we're really seeing is this totally different way of uh, taking their products to market. It's all in consumption-based, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but it's all subscription or OPEX as opposed to CAPEX, which creates some great opportunities, but also provides some current challenges to our
0: channel. Yeah. And so you've talked about how the number has increased. The number is going to continue to increase exponentially. Can you talk about how maybe just by sheer volume and also the role that they play as, you know, creating different softwares that they're going to lead this industry? Is that how you see things mapping out over the next, you know, three, five, ten years?
1: Yeah, definitely, because right now what you have is you have a convergence of technologies, right? So there's a group of older technologies, RFID, ADC, point of sale and such. And you have a new group of technologies coming in, AI, AR, uh, blockchain, machine to machine, machine to human, autonomous anything, um uh, deep learning, and all of these are really laying over the top of all the technologies that many of our resellers and software companies are currently selling in the channel. And so what we're seeing is that, uh, and, and also because of APIs, most people aren't going and adding more feature and functionalities to their software. What they're doing is they're going out and finding new partners and through APIs, Increasing that very specialized niche feature function that someone's already gone out and developed to the nth degree. So there's a tremendous amount of partnering that is happening within the channel. We study these uh, software companies through their whole maturity cycle, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that later, but we teach them how to accelerate their growth by embracing the channel.
0: Right. And so before we dive into that, can you talk about how the channel itself is embracing ISVs? So an example would be resellers developing their own intellectual property, you know, to be as a differentiator. So there'll be more hybrid ISV VARs as opposed to just a reseller. In fact, we just had before we hopped on this call, Mark, uh, we had uh, one of the RSP niche and startup ISV community meetings. And I think all except one of the executives on that call, they were a reseller who then became a software developer. So can you talk about that hybrid component and then also talk about direct ISVs because they're emerging with their own software, especially inside of specialty niches. Is this part of what you see increasing as well? It's not like you know, 900,000 software companies are gonna come out of nowhere or all be startups. Do you kind of see this, uh, th- this trend happening as well, direct ISVs and then hybrid ISV VARs?
1: Sure, so I think almost all software companies start out in a direct sales model they come out they create something then they think boy we're going to set the world on fire with our idea that we're going to market with when they get to a stage where they really start their growth they they have a choice to make one you either stay direct or you go into an indirect model embrace the channel and sign up resellers so you have a channel that understands that uh, hybrid or reseller um, mentality of embracing the channel already. So the people that are in the channels, they develop new uh, specialty software, it's very nichey. Uh, they generally go right into a hybrid model or embracing in an indirect sales model. The folks that are coming out of the gate and a lot of them with the newer technologies, they're all direct sales models. Uh, very few of them are indirect. And generally, one of the determining factors of direct versus indirect is when the amount of VC money that's injected into some of these uh, software uh, companies as well.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting what I've seen, and I'm curious if you've seen this as well, in some cases... It's part going direct, but it's also they're already in that industry, right? We just had somebody who their family has a laundromat business, yeah. and so they spun a software out of that, or somebody whose uh, family owned a bunch of uh, bars and you know liquor stores, they spun something software out of that, or boat parts or something like that, right? And then they spun something out of that. It seems like, I guess, have you seen that as well? I've seen that uh, in pockets for sure.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So we have a lot of different, uh, we call them executive summits throughout the year that are vertical based, like for healthcare or supply chain, um, retail, hospitality, and so on. And in all of these, we, we bring in leaders from around the VAR community and the software community and sort of talk about what are the trends in the market, what's going on. You would be amazed, for example, on the healthcare one, the number of doctors. They were practicing MDs at some point, but they, they, they saw that there was a, a need for a certain type of solution within their day-to-day activities as a, um, a medical professional, and they went out and they created the solution for that, and then they went to market with it. And as most people that are creative like that, that is a love of theirs. So they leave the actual profession of practicing whatever it was, medical or whatever, and they gravitate to the software. And from there, it usually expands as they add more feature and functionality. Maybe they're gonna go and now add facial recognition. So instead of trying to write the whole facial recognition, Uh, protocol and program, what they'll do is they'll go out and put the APIs in with one of the leading uh, companies in facial recognitions that might have been around for 10 years and has, you know, a few hundred million dollars invested over all those years into facial recognition. And that's how these people are, are embracing the channel and scaling very quickly.
0: Got it. Thank you for that. And just I guess another follow-up on, on direct ISVs. Let's say somebody's a reseller who doesn't want to, you know, go down the hybrid path and launch their own software. Now, these direct ISVs are having direct contact with uh the merchants. So do you see if like if you're a reseller, would you consider them a threat to your business? Or is it just part of the evolution and you've got to make sure that you change with it or figure out how to partner with them? I guess if you were in a reseller's shoes, Mark, um You know, how would you how would you address that Uh, direct ISVs, you know, in the territory, in your market, in your geography?
1: Well, the one thing that a lot of these software companies don't get involved in is hardware and appliances. Okay, and that's the one thing that they want to stay away from. But it's a necessity to the solution. You know, the best software in the world without hardware is uh, nothing but a bunch of ones and zeros. And the best hardware in the world without software is just a doorstop. So you gotta have the two together. And that's why when these direct sales, um, uh, direct sales strategy software companies are coming out, they finally do get to a point where they realize they have to have an integration partner And that integration partner a lot of times holds the relationship with the end user and probably a very strong relationship because just of the 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 nature of the business and the number of years that they have been servicing those particular end users so it's actually you know a perfect marriage for them to come together so is it a threat no i don't think it's a threat in fact if i was a reseller and i had uh, one of my end users come in and say to me, hey, I have this person who's bringing this new solution to me. Um, you know, what do you think? I would immediately jump in and say, let's talk to them together and maybe we can partner and do this, uh, you know, the install together and integrate it fully into your system. Um, I, I think that's where the biggest advantage is for our current reseller base in the channel today.
0: Got it. Okay, so thank you for setting that whole landscape that we talked about in terms of where do resellers fit in, what are ISVs fit in, you know, what's happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future. Now let's talk about, like, the title for this podcast about the keys to success for software developers in the retail IT channel. Where do you think it starts? From your perspective, what do you think is the first key or the first principle for an ISV being successful?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to the subscription base uh, from a finance side, Okay. Um, here's what's changing. You know, when you look at the millennials and how they go out and consume technology, it's totally different than how someone my age consumes technology. They are all well, subscribed.
0: For those of folks who aren't watching on video, how old are you, Mark? Because he sound like you're in your 20s? I, I
1: think I'm like two years older than you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, so we're we're uh, we're north of 50. We're getting close, if not already, receiving the AARP uh, magazine yeah. subscriptions in the mail. Like this must be a mistake. Oh no, it's got your name on it. So no, yeah, we both I'm, fit into that category.
1: I'm in my 60s, Jim, and um, you know if you look at this consumption model that's out there, here's a couple things. One, they sell all of their product or their solutions by subscription or consumption of x and x is not always time so most people think well software is you use it a month you pay a month all right well you now have people that are coming out with blockchain solutions for example and their consumption model is based on the number of gigs that you lock down and secure in a blockchain model Whereas another blockchain guy says, nope, that's not how we do it. It's actually by the number of transactions and it doesn't matter how big they are. It's just the number of transactions. A last mile delivery for a retail operation says, it's the number of miles that are delivered using our solution. And another, you know, last mile delivery company will say, no, it's the number of POs we delivered. And another one says, it's the number of packages we delivered. So, first of all they all have a, a model that's a consumption model subscription and it's based on a month but the month just happens to be the period that they gauge how much did you lock down how many packages did you deliver how many miles did you deliver and everything else a problem you now add hardware people want to take the hardware the software and the services all together and put it into a subscription-based model. And now we have who's going to carry the paper for the hardware. The services aren't a problem unless you start talking about taxation for the resellers because it changes wherever the assets reside, the services are provided and the software is used going from state to state or country to country. That is the biggest challenge I see for the new uh, technology software companies coming into the channel. So there's plenty of partners in the channel that specialize in that and can help with the hardware. Um, Not to be a a blue star commercial or anything, but we have a program called Hybrid SaaS. And it does exactly that, it allows the, resellers and the technology software companies to take all of the hardware software and services to any percentage and roll it into one monthly payment and and truly that is what this channel gets hung up on day in and day out and and lastly the reason for that is many of the resellers and many of the software companies their sales um, folks are all compensated on a capex model and in order to get over to that full subscription, you gotta change your uh, policy for paying your sales team into an OpEx. And this particular program, the reseller can be paid 100% up on the day of installation, but the, the end user still gets a monthly payment over three, four, five years, whatever, and rip and replace and start it again. So it's all about making it <clears throat> making it sticky, one-stop shop, and be able to finance the entire solution, all components of it together into a one payment. That's what the younger generation is demanding. That's what they're used to. And that's what they're gonna purchase. And our channel needs to migrate to that over the next couple of years.
0: Well, and uh, it also ties into, um, there are these startups that just can't afford it right? Because it's much easier to do the the monthly payment. So you and I first got to know each other when I was at Business Solutions Magazine. Our parent company was Jamison Publishing. And one thing we talked about internally, it was called Marker's Law, because there's somebody who the two brothers, Rick and Terry Peterson, met with years and years ago, somebody counseling them on their business. And his last name was Marker. And he would say, and they'd say oh, well, there's this great thing we need to buy. And Marker would say to them, I don't care if you want it, I don't care if you need it. I don't care if you feel like you deserve it. I don't care if it revolutionize your business. I'm just telling you, you can't afford it. And that's what it seems like you're talking about is this new model. You could have the greatest solution in the world, the greatest hardware software combo, but if that merchant can't afford it, what's the point? They're going to move on to something else, maybe, uh, you know, a step or two or five steps below, but they're only going to go with what they afford, what they can't afford. Is that kind of what you're saying in terms of it's got to start there? Your model has to fit into these millennials and to their uh, ability to afford Um, you know, the solution that you're proposing to them. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll go back to what I said about how many millennials are going to be in our channel in a couple of years and how many people are going to retire. You look at the end users, it runs parallel to that. So, I mean, look at our community and what's happened during COVID-19 and the number of store closings there's been or restaurant closings and so on. You know, and that's something that we talk about all the time. But I tell you what, you will never kill the entrepreneurial spirit of the small businessmen throughout the world. And it doesn't matter if you're in United States, Canada, throughout the world, you will never ever kill that spirit. And so these new ideas and these new solutions will keep coming and they're gonna come at a more rapid place, or pace because the technology is getting refined. You have the convergence of technologies and you have all of what's being taught in the colleges and what they grew up with, right? We're in a generation that grew up with computers now. They didn't have to learn it when they were you know, in college.
0: Yeah. And uh, to your point, Mark, I just talked to a reseller recently who was talking with one of his merchants who runs a successful, uh, you know, multi uh, um, uh, store or multi location restaurant and his go forward plan in the middle of COVID isn't just survivability. He says a lot of these spaces are going to open up in these cities where folks have been running before because they can't afford it. I'm going to move in there and launch restaurants cuz the rent is going to be dirt cheap and I'm going to be able to get a really good uh spot in the city. I'm thinking man in the middle of you know should be putting on your helmet, you know, uh okay. you know crawling under your desk. No, he's thinking how how can I move this forward. So uh, to your point. So before we go on, just want to take a uh, quick moment here and pause and let our listeners know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or affordable. The RSP has expanded its VAR and ISP member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, shipping, and more. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for these high value services. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Heartland, Scansource, Shift4 Payments, and can you guess the fourth one, Mark?
1: Uh, Blue Star.
0: And Blue Star, very good. You got the right answer. Um, to receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Again, that's membership at gorspa.org. So uh, Mark, before the commercial, uh, you mentioned, you know, we were talking about the keys to uh, success for software developer, tech software companies um, in the industry. What's another key action or uh, a principal ISVs need to embrace your first one was about that consumption subscription model. What would be another one you would say? Well, I'm gonna go back to something you just
1: said uh, when you're talking about the RSPA. You know, for less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, you could be a member of the RSPA. To me, that would be a power breakfast right there. So I had to bring that up. that when you said the 68
0: cents, so All right. sorry, to- I, no worries. I'm happy happy for you to plug the RSPA and. I mean, it is true. You know, we have a, a lot of ISVs in our association. I mentioned that niche and startup ISV community call. We do that every month. We have lots of software developers who participate and we get a lot of positive feedback afterwards that they say, I can't get that anywhere else, right? There's no other place for me to go hang out with other software developer executives and, and learn from it. So by all means, feel free to promote the RSPA as much as you want on the remainder of the pod market. Okay,
1: so your question was, what else uh, can the channel do for the technology software companies?
0: Yeah, what other things, well, what should those tech software companies do to be successful going forward? What's another key uh, to their operations? Uh, What should they do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that we see very frequently with these technology software companies is that they have built their solutions on consumer-grade devices. And once they finally take them to market, they realize that the environments that they're used in are quite a bit more harsh um, than what they first realized. And in the channel, uh, you know, you have purpose-built devices, not consumer-built devices. I mean, I'm sure there will always be an, uh, a consumer-grade tablet point-of-sale solution available. But what happens is when they find out what they can do with some of these purpose-built devices that have multiple functions um, and features, when they embrace those and they go to some of the, I'll say the medium to the larger size corporation and companies out in the market, those companies are looking to embrace purpose-built equipment. They know how rough employees are on devices, for example. And the last thing they want to see is any device breaking down in the middle of a shift. So one of the things that we do constantly, I mean, every day with seating units and demo units and working with our technicians is taking their solutions and porting them over to a ruggedized android device or a ruggedized microsoft device and when they see what some of those functions can do plus how well they are received by the business world that's out there right now and the amount of money that they have invested in a honeywell or a zebra or a DataLogic, elo star epson they automatically gravitate to saying we have faith in that type of solution however if you walk in with some consumer grades or cell phones um, it's it's not perceived that way Uh, best example is uh, it was lowes that went out and decided they would use an iphone to do uh, inventory and help their employees in the stores uh, be as quick to look up something on the internet and so they got these iphones and by the time that they uh, repurposed them and ruggedized them, it looked like a box of uh cracker jacks, right? With a cell phone inside of it. Uh a year and a half later, they pitched them all and went with purpose built devices. Lesson learned.
0: Yep, exactly right. And we talked about earlier you can have the greatest software in the world, but if you don't have the right hardware that it's running yeah. on, it's like you said a bunch of bunch of ones and zeros. So
1: yeah so those and that are Lowe's couple- deal was forty three thousand units. That's uh Someone made a big mistake, right?
0: I was gonna say that is a mistake where you might not be able to sh- show up on Monday, right? Yeah, uh, they might
1: they might work at uh, Home Depot now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and not at an executive level, right? They'd uh, right. they're they're moving snow shovels uh for somebody. Um so you talked about the devices, you talked about the consumption model. Uh, talk about because you have a really interesting perspective. Like you and I have talked ISVs for I mean, how many years, Mark? It goes all the way back to the BSM days when we launched the ISV IQ live. I know Blue Star was a big uh, participant in that and and really steered that. Um, So you've seen a lot of ISVs go from that startup direct phase to now where they have a successful channel. So what advice could you give to the software developer executives who are listening to this? What have you seen? What what steps do they need to take? What things do they need to do in order to uh, establish a successful VAR channel?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to partnerships. And... um, when When you have fully baked your solution, and like you said, a lot of these technology software companies start out in a different business line right they're they're in dry cleaning and then they invent a dry cleaning software to improve a situation um But when they finally get out there and grab the right partners, you know the partners then become who should you market with, who can go out there and do B 2 B marketing. Who can do B to you know B to C marketing? You know who are the right vendors for hardware that you should partner with uh, to supply and demand of those products. Uh, that's a, a big thing that a lot of these software companies don't understand. That um, you know sometimes when you say, well, I, I need these devices, it's not like they're right there, right? We, we all carry inventory on the shelf but it's constantly rotating in and out and when you look at where these purpose developed purpose-built devices come from and all of the uh, engineering that goes into them uh, that's a different than going into a best buy and and buying an appliance there it's on the shelf and taking it out as part of the solution then you have everything to do with the warranties and the maintenance contracts to all of the softwares that are running, where are these devices within the ecosystem of the of the uh, end users? And I think, you know, I, I would have to say partnerships and joining an organization like the RSPA. Um, the members that are in the RSPA understand this. Most of the partnerships that they're involved in came out of the RSPA, um, and. And so you say, how do I find the right partner? And when I look at our Tech Connect program, what it's designed to do is tell these software companies, no matter where they are in their maturity cycle, whether right out of the gate or been around for a year or 20 years, and they want to maybe reinvent themselves or go to a um, to an indirect sales uh, team, we want them, you know, to take the step forward with the left foot or the right foot well we help them determine is it the left or the right foot and i think that's what you get out of organizations like rspa and you know there's others out there that they could join for different verticals but at the end of the day it comes down to partnerships
0: yeah, and can you talk, so I agree with you 100%. So I've coached software developers and VARs you know, for the past several years. And a lot of times, you, know, you talk to an ISV and they think about, it's a volume play. Man, what if I sign up 100 or 200 resellers and get that many feet out on the street, they're gonna move all sorts of my product. And a lot of times I say to them, if you get 100 people who really aren't into it or they aren't the right people or they don't run a really good organization, that might not be as good as if you focus and get that 10 right folks, right? If you get the right resellers, just like hiring employees, if you get the right resellers, they can really help things take off for you, not just from a pure sales standpoint, but also saying, here's what the market's saying, here's how you can adjust your product. I Because what's your take on that? Have you had a similar experience? Yeah. Do you share that perspective? Definitely. So,
1: you know, all of the distributors have uh, marketing programs to help develop end user leads for the technology software companies and resellers. And uh, a lot of them, when they first come to you go, you know, got to have leads, got to have leads, right? And uh, we have a couple of things. One, we say to them, you can't treat the leads like an ice cube, right? You get an ice cube, you put it on the floor, Uh, you come back tomorrow, the ice cubes melted, floors not wet, never existed, you know, you need to teach them how to react in the lead, not in a day, not in an hour, in seconds. And that's why they make uh, you know all types of chat bots and the better AI you put in the better. That's one thing. The the other thing is is you know when they're looking at leads and you said you know quantity, you know, thousand leads. No, we're gonna take those thousand leads and look at them, and then we're gonna come back and take needles out of a haystack, put them in a pin cushion and hand them to them and say, do not call those 1000, call these 18. These 18 are gonna get you your business, right? And that's something on scalability that whether it's leads or it's going out and finding new resellers to resell your product, you're exactly right in in what you said, Jim. Um, They're better off finding two to five people who will invest, stay focused on it, and be working on selling it every day. Not, you know, once a month or, you know, Johnny come lately, so.
0: Yeah, invest is the right word. Like they feel like they are representing your product, not just it's one thing that I can pull off the shelf uh, every once in a while. Um,
1: They have to feel it's their solution,
0: right? That's right. Uh, so I have two more questions that I plan to ask you, but I want to insert another one into it be- to kind of set up the next one and help kind of show the credibility. Cause it's like, if you're a business owner do this, Mark, can you give a little bit of background? We didn't talk about it in your bio, but you've been a business owner uh, before. Can you talk about your experience as a business owner, as a and leader of an SMB uh, organization, if you don't mind?
1: Sure. So I guess if you're referring to my restaurant days or software days, I'm not sure, but I'll take the restaurant days.
0: Yeah, uh, both of Uh, them.
1: Well, you know, when we were in the restaurants, uh, and we, over 15 years, uh, we had nine restaurants in the upper Midwest, and we franchised one of the uh, ideas. The franchising was the worst decision ever, made my life most costly. uh, For exactly what you just said, Uh, people didn't embrace uh, the vision uh, like yourself. But when I go back to those days, uh, the first thing that uh, my partner and I did is we went out and uh, became, um, got the franchise rights for a point of sale system out of uh, California called the DART Computer in five states uh, of the Midwest. And we did that so that we could start to control uh, everything in our restaurants using technology. And then we went out and sold it to all of our competitors in the immediate area and our best white paper was us and we would invite them into our restaurants to see what we were doing. Uh, we soon learned that we were better restaurant tours than POS guys. So we uh, sold back the uh, franchise rights to uh, Dart. And uh, later on in my career, I also got involved in point of sale software for retail and software companies. And uh, so I've been involved in this in, in all my life, and uh, the one thing that I will say is that where we were the most successful did come down to the partnerships uh, that we had with our partners uh, to go out and deliver our final product to the end users, or in this case, to the consumers.
0: Got it. Well, thank you for that. I wanted to frame that up because we've talked a lot about the outward facing thing. Can you talk about the internals of an organization, about the importance of discipline and systems to sustain them? Because it seems like a lot of times when people think of a software company, they have a really good idea. They have a really interesting you know, startup mentality, brand new software. But how do they sustain that? over time, I guess, can you talk about the importance? Cause you know, we have ISV executives who are listening to this folks who are running software companies. What can you say to them, you know, based on your experience what you've seen from other successful software developers how important is it to not just have a great product but to make sure you have the discipline and systems internally to be sustainable long-term either as an organization or keep you sustainable until you you sell to somebody?
1: Wow, that's a very big question and um, You know, I would have to say that uh, more so than anything else is you've got to stick to your strategy and your business plan and stay focused. I think when people get squirrel vision and, you know, a lot of software folks are just like chefs. And they'll say, hey, if you just let me work on this recipe just a couple of more hours, I'll make it even taste better. Or we can make this code do so much more, all I need is another week. Someone, and hopefully this is the software executive goes, stop, that can be in the next version. We're gonna go sell this and we're gonna put money in the bank. And at the end of the day, we're all in business to put money in the bank and that staying focused for your purpose and getting that accomplished. And the other thing that that I'll say is that uh, software people generally don't spend enough time going out and talking to their existing customers to one, get testimonials of what they've been able to do with bona fide facts that say, we improve this by X percent. Uh, people always want to look and hear from people who have walked in their shoes before. And and software companies need to do that. They also need to keep marketing and have business development. The first day you quit marketing and doing business development is your first day of declining sales. And a lot of times when we get with these software companies, the one thing we find out, they either have zero or one person in their marketing and business development groups. And that's why once again, all the distributors and there's other RSPA members out there, for example, that offer marketing services that you can supplement that one person that you have. We we actually have seminars that we do uh, to tell people how to go from zero marketing people to outsourcing to an internal team as they grow uh, in their maturity cycle. So those would be two things that I think I would focus on if I was a software uh, executive.
0: Yeah, to your point, build it and they will come is not a business development strategy, it was simply a line in a movie, right? And there've been a lot of other lines in movies and they don't apply to business. You can't just have a great product if you gotta go out and, and market it and sell it and make sure that you're, you're running it like a business, not just... You know doing yeah. what you think is good just because you You're can right. doesn't mean you should
1: right it's sort of like uh hope is not a good business strategy right that's
0: right exactly right. Yeah. what's your what's your five-year business plan i got my fingers crossed right i got my lucky rabbit's foot um well mark last question free, and we love asking our guests this uh, from time to time can you recommend to our audience again it's vars and isvs listening to this can you recommend to them a book to read an online resource to follow podcast to listen to that'll help them improve their organization
1: i think you already know what my answer is because when you've asked me this question similarly at other times within our career there's two books that i highly recommend that every business person read Um, in fact i'm going to answer with three but the first one is think and grow rich by napoleon hill it doesn't matter what business you're in everybody should read that book yep and you should read it at least two times and there's some great great lessons in there from years ago that still apply because i'm a marketing guy and you know we were talking about marketing it's the 22 immutable laws of marketing thank you very much for the prop
0: <laughs> yeah for those of I you watching suggest- on video, I, I know what mark's going to say and i've got them on my bookshelf grabbing snagging right. them off my bookshelf yeah that's a great one
1: so those are great books and you know it's not about how you go out and do digital marketing or anything but it's principles excuse me it's principles of marketing that have proven to work in a lot of different decades and it doesn't matter what the tool set is to deliver the marketing if you're not first in a category create a new category or subcategory, declare yourself first and go out and market the living hell out of it. I mean, those are basics. It's more along the guerrilla marketing type uh, strategies, but a great book. And then the last book that I'm gonna bring up, and I, I thought about this when we were talking earlier, is that a lot of the software companies come to us and they wanna take their product to a new region. So they're in the United States, they want to go to Canada or they're in Europe and they want to bring it to the U.S. and such. And when you do that, obviously, there's a lot of different uh, things to think about. Well, there's a book out there and I might mess up the uh, title slightly and I might have it on my shelf. It's uh, uh, Kiss, Bow, Shake Hands or Shake Hands, Bow, Kiss. It's one of if if you get close, you'll find it on Amazon. And what it does is it takes a lot of different national nationalities and it stereotypes how they negotiate in business or how they react to different situations in business. And um, being the fact that you know I have global responsibilities and and we go you know to 117 different countries with our business model, uh, when we go in and talk to people. I have all of our managers read this book because it's very eye-opening on just different little movements and uh, expressions and sayings and feelings of people that you're negotiating. If partnerships, like I said before, are one of the most important things in business, then you gotta make sure that all of your motions and conversation and gestures and such are within the framework of the person that you're talking to. So I would Got recommend it. those three books. I you were Googling, did you find the right name of it? I,
0: I found it on Amazon. It's Kiss, Bow or Shake Hands, uh, is the title of it. So I'm I'm adding that to my reading list. Thank you very much. And again, you can I've already read Think and Grow Rich, which Steve Kuntz, our CEO, or I'm sorry, uh, Blue Star CEO, recommended to me, and then you recommended the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, which is copyright 1993, but I, like I said, I tell people, I dare you to read it and say, this stuff doesn't apply today. It definitely applies today. Time-tested principles, no doubt. Yeah, agreed. Wonderful. Great recommendations. Well, to our listeners and viewers, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. The more blue stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for Vars and ISVs in the point of sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at goRSPA.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Mark Fraker from Blue Star for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks to RSPA Marcom Manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at GoRSPA.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody. Stay
1: strong, stay healthy.